to Korea Alien Blast. I'm Mick and today I'm joined by my two lovely co-hosts Amanda and Sarah as always. Hello. Hi. Um, today we're talking about themes and metaphors in Roswell, New Mexico. So I think the pretty obvious theme is aliens. Right. <laughs> and I think it works really well as a metaphor for a lot of things. So first of all, I want to talk about um, what Karina said it's a metaphor for. And she mentioned multiple times that for her, the aliens specifically are a metaphor for Islamophobia. So I wanted to ask you guys, how well do you think that works for Islamophobia in particular and not for like immigration in general? Right. You know, what's funny is I don't, I, I don't pay attention to what showrunners or writers say necessarily. I'm a big fan, you know, if we've talked before, is sort of death of the author. Um, so I only really recently learned um, that Karina is Muslim and or that she was raised Muslim, I'm not sure. And that, that was her um, goal was to sort of have this reflect Islamophobia in America. And I, when you just watch it as a casual viewer, or like we're casual, but you know, when you just sort of watch it without that knowledge, I don't know that that specifically comes through. I think it's um, that it's much, there's definitely this um, theme of racism and, you know, sort of othering people. And that definitely comes through. It's not subtle at all. But I mean, I think you could watch the entire show. And I don't think Islamophobia would ever would ever come up as sort of a, a you know, a theme. Right? Yeah, I have to agree, because I would not have seen anything about Islamophobia, if she hadn't said so. I mean, you definitely get a sense of using the aliens as otherness. Right. Uh, but I think it's more towards immigration and that racism against Mexicans in particular, Hispanic people in particular, right. then I don't know that I ever, did we even ever get a mention of Islam or being Muslim or, I mean, no, I know you had Karin as a character, but I think he was very clearly not a Muslim character. And right. so I don't think we ever saw it. Like I get that maybe that was her goal, yeah, but it's never explicitly shown in the show. Well, now that we're talking about it, the only, the, here's the, the tenuous connection that I can make that actually makes sense now that we're sort of talking through it is the idea that uh, Arturo and Liz were blamed for what happened with Rosa the night, you know, with the, with the wreck and, and killing the, the girls in the car or whatever. I mean, that definitely makes sense with how um, Muslims in America were treated after 9-11. I mean, there is a, a connection there, but I would never have gone to that without knowing a little bit of back. I wouldn't have just watched that and seen that connection at all. But I think that maybe that's what she's going for. Yeah, I wanted to ask this question to, to you guys because I'm being Italian. I don't have the same sense of what's going on in America that you guys have. So to an American, it might have been more obvious than to me that I'm not in that reality. Right. But I, I have to agree with you both. I personally, I see like it's obvious that it's a metaphor for immigration and Noah 
has the you know the, those lines about being refugees and I actually wanted to talk about Noah's story a little bit because he's the one who presents that storyline of mm -hmm. the aliens being refugees because they didn't know what was happening right. and also I think it's important that we know he was the poor um, side of it right and he wasn't protected as much as the other three. So I wanted to talk about Noah a little bit. Um, it's interesting about Noah's story is that, so in, a, you know, in America right now, the big conversation with when Trump got elected, and even before then, but really since then, has been this idea of the wall and stopping sort of you know undocumented immigrants. And the big argument for people on the right is they say that people come here and they're criminals. And they murder and they, you know, whatever. That sort of, you know, ridiculous over-the-top statements that they make. And it's interesting to me that the show went in the way of sort of echoing that. Noah comes here um, and then, you know, sort of look at where his storyline went. I thought that's, I don't know. I'm sure that was the purpose, but it just sort of... I don't know. I, I, it was an odd choice on, on, on a writing standpoint. To Again, well, we can talk this to death, but to not only have you know, Noah as sort of uh, a man of color who's also the bad guy. And I, you know, not that villains in TV shows and movies can't be people of color. That's not what I'm saying. But given the how not subtle the show is about talking about Trumpism and all of that, to then sort of fall into some of those stereotypes that the right always bring up was interesting. Yeah, I mean, to choose to have the person of color who is also being portrayed as this poor character, if we're supposed to assume that he made with his pod being of lower quality. Um, he's an, un I mean, he's an undocumented immigrant in a lot of ways. Right. And then to choose to have him be the rapist, the murderer, the everything that the right says that undocumented immigrants are, it's a choice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that that making Noah the character that they made him was was the best choice. And here's, I don't think that that means that you have to have that stereotypical perfect person of color, right? Like you don't. They don't have to, you. They can be multifaceted, multidimensional. Right. That is not mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying at all. But given the climate and given what the show is, it's a, it's just it's disappointing really to watch it uh, because of what his character really could have represented. And then now we're left with a character who just makes everyone uncomfortable when you watch the show. Yeah. I mean, we could have had this quote unquote undocumented immigrant who came here. I mean, he's a lawyer. He's successful. He was helping people. And and now he's just a monster. Right. Exactly. And we see um, we see his storyline, and then, as you said, Amanda, they're not subtle about their immigration um, theme. And yet again, with the alien metaphor, we see it. I think the most explicit lines that we have are where there's Jesse on on one hand, right. and there is Grant Green on the other that um, right. does say those. Like he makes explicit note of those stereotypes right. that are like they're rapists, they're gonna come and get our jobs and this and that. He does say that, and I love that they they're not subtle 
about those choices and neither are they about their politics really like um they're quips but they're very clear like the little jabs they're not like they don't have this whole discussion about it there's not have they don't have drawn out scenes about it but it's it's consistent and it's um it's good that it's there right my favorite my favorite not subtle thing um talking about meta- metaphors and themes that the show did was was actually with Grant Green um because and this is why I love Karina Grant Green is obviously Alex Jones and I'm Rush Limbaugh and sort of all these radio personalities um and then of course gets murdered in the end which I mean like let's you're not subtle at all Karina and I really appreciate that but I, you know, when you listen to him, so the, you know, let's say, I, I don't know what it's like to, to have a character like Grant Green from your perspective, Mick, but from our perspective, you know, it sounds insane, right? He sounds like a buffoon. He's going off and going off. Mm-hmm. He sounds exactly like all the alt-right um, radio hosts. Like, this isn't new or even really that funny. They say these actual things about people and so when I'm watching it, it's like I want to laugh at Grant Green, and you do. But at the same time, it's like, holy shit, Rush Limbaugh has actually said these things. Um, so it's kind of terrifying, mm-hmm. and it was extremely satisfying when he died. So sorry. It's probably going to get me arrested, but it was because <laughs> it was <laughs> – so sorry. Um, but it's that over-the-top – the way the grant was talking about um, uh, aliens is very much, I mean, probably the least subtle um, connection Mm -hmm. with, um, you know, undocumented immigrants here now. So, yeah. um, I definitely, the first time that we saw Grant Green, I was like, Oh, it's Alex Jones. Yeah. He's clearly, (laughs) I mean, he is, he's Alex Jones and it, you know, it's very, it's, it's great. I loved it. Yeah. I, I will say I got a lot of satisfaction from Grant dying. And I like that they really didn't, they really never made him sympathetic. I was a little afraid of that when he and Liz started interacting. And the fact that they didn't. Right. No, that bet, that amazing scene, that line where she's like, she catches on. And she's like, you're paid to flood the airwaves. So when something real happens, you know, you've, you've gotten everyone yeah. up in a panic and no one's going to pay attention. And that was just like, psh, like, yeah. yes, that's exactly what they do. And that's what they all do. I mean, if you know, that's, that's, it was, it was a good scene. And you're right. They never made him, they never made me be like, oh, Grant. You know, I was just like, nope, dude's got to die. Yeah. And (laughs) Mick, I don't know how much you, you see of this where you are, but here, you know, you've got these alt-right, these crazy conservative pundits and they're the loudest person in the room. And so they flood out everybody by being the loudest person in the room Mm -hmm. and they cause this mass hysteria and this and this worrying stuff. And so to have him standing there, you know, in the middle of the town square yelling about how aliens are coming to take their jobs and murder their children and, and you know, it was I agree with Amanda that it's the most unsubtle right. metaphor that they or theme that they probably did in the whole season and I love it. Right. See, I wouldn't have caught that if you didn't tell me, but still it's not subtle at all like I didn't know that you had these personalities but you can see like what it's talking about you know the reflection of it and since we're talking about immigration I think that the the two big um contrasts that we can make are uh the aliens and the Ortecos and uh the Ortecos and the Valentes um those are the two big um contrasts that we can see with immigration so we have 
the aliens and Liz and Arturo and Rosa and the concept of passing. That's what I think Karina was going for. Um, the fact that Michael and Elizabeth and Max being white, they, of course, they pass. Right. They seem human and accepted and all of that. And they put, of course, they put Liz and Arturo in a position, in a position when they did what they did with Rosa to, to be a target. And I love that scene that Liz has with Max um, when she learns about what they did. Um, that's a beautiful scene. I, love, I think it's one of my favorite scenes because like, he, he doesn't realize it. I don't think he does because he's privileged. And I love that she has that hang anger and that she tells him, like she yells at him because she's right. Well, and because Max has a, has a double more than you know just the privilege of being sort of yeah. passing he also grew up with a little bit of money he's also right. male at least in the concept of we don't know you know i don't know how gender and aliens work but at least on the outside right. um and so you know i do love a lot of their interactions and i hope that we have more of those later on where liz is sort of peeling back his um privilege and saying you you know this you have to, you need to look at it in a completely different way outside of the lens that you have, you have carried your whole life. Like one that is ostensibly a straight white male. Now granted you're an alien, but um, the one scene that I think failed in terms of when we're talking about the aliens versus the Ortecos is that really cringy uh, Liz and Michael scene where, um, oh my God, what even episode was that? Um, where, uh, Michael says, what if, yeah, what if they made you less Mexican or something? Or if they had an ability to make you less Mexican? And Liz gives him that look that he absolutely deserves. Like, what a terrible thing to say. And I, and I get what they're going for there, but it, you know, that didn't quite work in the same way. The same way that it would with, you know, Liz talking to Max. It wasn't quite the same. Yeah. Yeah. Because up to that, it was going like witches and gay people. And I was like, when he went gay people going through conversion therapy, I was like, oh, yeah. oh my God, he said that. And I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And then he went less Mexican. And I was like, mm, Michael. No. Maybe. <laughs> you had, it, you had us in the first half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's not, not quite right. I get what they were trying to say in that moment. It just definitely didn't land right. Yeah. It's awkward and offensive. Yeah, I just sometimes I wonder if they need somebody, not necessarily a writer, but just somebody to stand there in the corner of the writing room and be like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> just like, you know, I am, I envision someone with like a giant veto button. It's like, okay, absolutely not. This is not what we're going to do. I love that I went for um, giving uh, Arturo the possibility to work through, you know, being documented and, and all of that. And I wonder if they're going to go with that in season two, how's that, how that's going to go. I, I have no idea how this works in America. So it uh, well, it used to, I, I feel like it's different now just because of the climate that we live in. Right. But. My best friend uh, was an undocumented immigrant for most of our childhood, and she became a citizen mm -hmm. in our early 20s, and it was a long, arduous process. 
that I feel is probably worse now. Mm-hmm. So I would be interested to see how how that goes for Arturo going forward, especially without Noah's support. Right. Right. Yeah. What's so interesting about where it takes place, obviously not just with Roswell, but the, the state that it takes place in, New Mexico, it's so mm-hmm. um, tied with like, you know, with Hispanic culture and, and all, you know, always has been, that's part of the Southwest. Right. But it's also Arizona and New Mexico are two of the most conservative states when it comes to, you know, immigration and th- there's horror stories about how there's that really, really racist was it like a mayor or a cop in Arizona that made headlines a few years ago. Uh, the and, sheriff. Yeah, the sheriff. That's what it was. Um, and so these it's so interesting. This is a part of the country where one would think the opposite was true. Um, but it is it's probably in a lot of ways more dangerous to be an undocumented immigrant in places like Arizona, New Mexico, and Texas than it is in other in other states. And that's that's so interesting to me. And I'm I'm glad that it's set there, not just for the alien stuff, but that's mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. It, that whole conversation where Max is like, basically you think you're special because you speak Spanish. It's New Mexico, everybody speaks Spanish. Because I mean, I don't know how that was it was kind of an odd scene, but it is it is fairly true. I mean it is that, you know, speaking Spanish in large parts of Texas and Arizona and New Mexico is extremely important to culture. Um, so I think that's interesting. Well, I mean, and, yeah, and you're right. And I'm from Texas and I don't speak Spanish, unfortunately. But, you know, you, you have to at least understand it because the population is so right. densely Hispanic, whether they're, I mean, whether they're from here or from Mexico or from wherever. Um, but I think the fact that there are so many Hispanic people in Texas, in New Mexico, in Arizona, feeds into this idea of racism here because, you know, they've pounded this idea into people's heads of like, it's an invasion. And so that's what has people turn against them in a lot of ways. But it feeds into this idea and it's worse here because there's more people of Hispanic descent here. Right. Well, that's what's so frustrating about, not to go back, but it's what's so frustrating about the, the Noah situation is that in a lot of ways, this idea of invasion and taking over and, and all of that, you know, was really fed into his storyline. And that's what's frustrating because it's like, you know, you really wanted to make these points and, and you really wanted to make it obvious that with, you have a character like Grant Green, you're obviously saying like the alt-right is insane. This What they're saying doesn't make any sense. And yet you have this. That's what you do. Right. This is what you do anyway. And you sort of have this character that I think, you know, failed in a lot of ways. And that was kind of disappointing. Well, and while we're kind of talking about that, you know, you have you have Grant Green that's on this at really extreme end. And then there was that scene between Kyle and his mom. Oh, Yeah. yeah. I wanted to talk about that. Yeah. You know, where where you've got, I'm assuming, a Hispanic woman calling out other Hispanic people which is a thing that happens, you know, there's definitely an argument, right. you know, between right. Hispanic people who came here legally and people who did not, and they definitely passed judgment. And so that was a really interesting scene to me to have a Hispanic woman calling out right. other Hispanic people for not coming here, quote unquote, the right way. Yeah, I I had that down because I think that that's one of the most explicit contrasts that she does say that. And I think it's great that Kyle goes, you sound like a bigot. And I love Kyle so much. Right? <laughs> I love Kyle. I love Kyle. 
<laughs> you know, actually, you know, what, what is intriguing about that scene is that it shows how easy it is to um, internalize a lot of right. what we hear a lot of the time and that you actually have to actively fight against those stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And what I'm not that we're all sort of mindless, and, but when you hear constantly, you know, negative stereotypes about a group of people, whoever that may be, and you hear that your entire life and you hear it over and over again in different ways, you internalize a lot of that. It doesn't matter if they're talking about people that look like you, people that are, you know, it's, it's, you're going to, to, to take that in and you're, you have to fight against those stereotypes and realize where they're coming from. And I think Sheriff Valenti is, I get it. I understand why, you know, she definitely feels like she's worked very hard to get where she is. And she, you know, she's a woman, Hispanic woman on a police force in New Mexico. Like she probably feels a lot of tension and a lot of who God only knows. I mean, how hard she had to work to get there. And so in her mind, a lot of what she's internalized is, well, I did it this way. Why can't everyone else? That sort of pull them up by the bootstraps bullshit that I hate in this country. Yeah. But I mean, you hear it a lot. You're go. You're that's how you're going to think is the is the the, the ideal, the correct way to live. Yeah, and she also um, she has the point of of saying that um, it made like what happened with Rosa and how they presented that story. Um, so Rosa being the the one responsible for the accident, it made it harder for all Hispanic people in Roswell from what the sheriff says, because like that. Jim Valenti almost lost the election that year because Jesse Mays was pushing against him mm-hmm. and all of that, um, assuming that Jim Valenti also was, you know, a man of color, Hispanic man. So that's that's also the part of one person does the, the deed, let's say, and everybody gets blamed. You right. know, everybody from that community gets blamed. And I think it's very real. Mm-hmm. And right. I appreciate that they, they keep doing that. They're very consistent in that. So keeping with the alien metaphor, we also have the aliens as a metaphor for otherness in general, right? So I think it's um, it works very well with Michael for his sexuality, and I think it works rather well with Isabel for mental illnesses. I don't think it works for Max at all. Are we ever going to have anything positive to say about Max on this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Maybe we'll see with this episode. We have a lot of max points down for this episode. But uh, as far as a metaphor goes, he's the straight white man. Right. And he's privileged and he has a good job. He's a cop. Like, <laughs> how much more privilege can you get? Like, right. I, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it doesn't work for him at all. Well, on the other hand, you have, well, Isabel, who's a woman and also has a history of mental illness, you know, alien mental illness, but like still mental illness, it was how it's presented. And Michael, of course, who's bisexual. So we've talked a a little bit about this, but I think it works very well for the two of them compared to Max. Um, I like, you know, it's such an iconic scene and I could watch it a million times, but I like that, um, you know, when when Michael's sort of coming out to Max and he says, you know, we are are literally aliens. you know, in this sort of binary of sexuality. It was such a great line. I kind of want them to 
break out of this need to force Isabel and Michael and Max to follow these sort of human stereotypes. Like, I'll be excited that if the show continues, if they can get away from that, because it's like, you're, you don't have to have them all be straight white characters. I mean, you're not, you're not hemmed in by that human form. Uh, and I, why do that with Max? I'm not sure. Like why leave him sort of the character that is the blandest in some ways. Mm -hmm. Um, there's, you know, a lot of people like the fact that he reads and, you know, writes. And, yeah. I mean, okay. <laughs> being a nerd is not being in a minority. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. He is that hipster white boy in a coffee shop that's reading pretentious Russian literature, you know, to seem like the smartest person in the room. Right, exactly. He's the guy with the acoustic guitar at the party that everybody hates. We know, you know, we get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like... Why go that way? I mean, the the potential was sort of endless to have it be another metaphor for something else or really exploring it. But he's just sort of like, there. I don't know. I think that part of it has to do, and not that this is right, but I think part of it has to do with he's the, he's the main character. He's the main male character. Mm-hmm. Liz is the main female character, but he's the main male character. And so he kind of has to be this generic hero archetype, which is not right. I mean, he doesn't have to be. Does he have to be? He doesn't or have to be, that... but in like certain people's mind, he does. Right. In certain people's minds, I think he does. I think you have, I'm kind of assuming here, I think you probably have some executives, you know, from the CW coming in and being like, okay, you can have this bisexual character. You can have this mentally ill character. You can have all these people of color. You can have the disabled character, but you need to have at least one quote unquote normal character. Right, sort of this sort of like um, like John Wayne stare, you know, like classic Hollywood mm-hmm. sort of vanilla character, um, which I guess you know I like. Um, it's interesting. That's why it's so interesting to see Max um, with other people in the show. Like if you watch, if it's not Liz, he's so uncomfortable. You, I mean, he and, and maybe that's the goal is to make him mean, like that whole scene with like. Um, you know, in nine with Maria and all that, he just, he sticks out like a sore thumb and he's so uncomfortable in a lot of ways. And I, there's a weird metaphor there possibly of sort of Max is the kind of man that we're, is, is Mm -hmm. that we're thankfully leaving behind, right? That sort of character that I'm okay with leaving straight white dudes who are terrible behind. Like it's okay that, you know what I mean? Like that, that I don't want to focus on their representation anymore that we've done that for a long time. Mm -hmm. So who knows? Well, you know, we're talking about, we're talking about otherness and all the characters are, are metaphors for otherness. And maybe that's Max's otherness is that he's kind of this generic, you know, the normal character. Maybe that's how he's different. And I hope maybe I hope we get a change, like an evolution with Max in season two, where he maybe explores, I mean, obviously he's powerful. I would, I would love to see them explore him becoming something beyond this character. Do we want to give the straight white male more power though? Not necessarily more power. I'm not saying explore more power. I'm saying to explore kind of, kind of accept his own otherness because I feel like he's repressed. Right. You know, you've got, you've got that, those scenes where, after he healed Liz, where he's got all this power building up and building up and building up. And he repressed it so much that when it finally exploded out of him, he knocked out power in the entire town. Right. Yeah. You can, you could have the argument that he has like this internalized xenophobia or something like right. Exactly. Avian phobia or something. 
about himself, which Isabel kind of does too. Uh, and Michael doesn't because it's like, fuck you, I'm an alien. Yes, I'm an alien. Right. <laughs> and Max, Max is like the archetype of that, you know. And I would like to see him shed a little bit of that because you see him suffering because of it and like the moment that he's like oh i'm the savior he dies right so like i think he needs to go back to the like mindset that he was in in the finale just not as cocky right you know it's it's funny when you rewatch the finale when it's not so um raw and sort of emotional you know i mean the scene with michael's healing michael's hands always going to be a little um emotional for a lot of people but you rewatch it and you just think this is the most straight white dude thing I've ever seen that he gets a little bit of power or gets a little bit of um, alien juice, like juiced up, you know, like, um, and the first thing he does is, Oh, I, I need to fix everything or I need to change everything to the, to the, what I think is the correct way. And it's um, again, not subtle. Um, But it's also, I just, that didn't endear me anymore to Max because it was just like, of course, here we go. Like straight white dude, which I feel like is a phrase I've said a thousand times on this podcast, but you know, thinks that he knows better than everyone else. And it's okay. Well, I've, we've lived that life and, and I'm ready for that to be, to, I'm ready for that to die. Next topic, we had a question actually from A Little Faith on Instagram and it was one of the themes that we already had down to talk about and it's the theme of home and found family. Mm-hmm. So home, I think uh, home is one of the central themes of the show and it's interesting to see how different that can be for each character and how that can be could be a place or it could be a person as we know it is for someone. (laughs) (laughs) We are not biased at all. Um, But I think it's very interesting um, to see what home means to every character on the show. You know, because aside from the obvious, because I know we're going to talk about the the Malik scene, what I like about um, the, the concept of home is that with the exception, and, and maybe Max has included this, with included in this, but the with the exception of maybe Max, that everyone does sort of have a found family. That it's not just, we're not just talking about Michael, or we're not just talking about Alex, but we're also, you know, right. Isabella and Noah before, all, you know, everything happened with Noah's character. Or, you know, Liz and Maria and Alex. And these sort of different configurations mm-hmm. um, that, you know, were a large part of season one, and I hope continue. Um, I think that that was, you know, even with the, the you are mine scene aside, um, the idea that even, you know, Michael and Isabel and Max have sort of created a bond, um, cause we don't actually know how they're related. We don't actually know anything about their history in terms of that, but that they have formed this sort of sibling bond. Yeah. I mean, I think that every character has, has this family of choice which is beautiful to see. Right. Um, I would be really interested to see how 
Max and and Iz and Michael are actually mm-hmm. related. I would love for them to not be related at all. I don't think they are. Because, I mean, from the spoilers of season two, at least Michael and right. yeah, the other the twins, you know. Um, because we know they have two different mm-hmm. birth mothers from the spoilers. Spoiler. <laughs> it doesn't work if you say it after me. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> We are going to be so good when the new season starts and just rambling on about what happens and be like, oh, spoiler. <laughs> um, no, but I, I, I agree that it's um, that I actually think it works better. And I think I would much rather watch things about found family um, than, you know, I don't really care if anyone's sort of blood related. I don't really know what that means or why that matters. Um, I mean, I do like the folk like exploring the Ortecos. And, and sort of their relationship, that's always interesting. Um, but then again, we also have to deal with the fact that Rosa, that Arturo is not her dad. Um, and what that means to, you know, be yeah. raised by someone who isn't your, you know, you don't find out till much later is not your father or not your biological father. Um, so there's a lot there. So that I do, you know, I'm interested in sort of, you know, biology versus found family. But um, I think overall the show definitely focuses much more on your family is who you make it. Especially given, I mean, Al- Alex is probably the most sort of obvious character um, that, I mean, given how he was raised and the glimpses that we've gotten, obviously he um, has audibly said he views Michael as, you know, his family. Um, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to cry. But like, has audibly said that, but has also clearly chosen that with Liz and Maria as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just sort of, you find, you know, you get your home wherever you can find it. Yeah, it's one of the things I had down on found family versus um, blood relations. And I think we see that with a lot of characters, actually. We see that, well, of course, with Alex. But I'm hoping we're going to see that with Rosa a little bit and with, uh, with Kyle a little bit as well, with what he finds out about his dad and how he reacts to it. Um, which is very brief because like as soon as he finds out that he was doing those experiments he also finds out that he was killed by Jesse Maine so it's kind of shifting still I think mm-hmm. um, but he also finds out that he has a sister so right. like I think the both the blood relations and the found families they're gonna shift for sure in season two and I, I'm excited to see how that's gonna go right. because spoiler uh, we know that they're gonna go. Uh, they're gonna go Scooby Gang. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited. I know. I'm excited about that. Um, so there's a, a couple of of not. Well, I don't want to say problems. Um, a couple of things about season one that I hope um, are change a little bit with season two is that a lot of everything just sort of felt very rushed. Um, and, and you know, it's funny you're mm-hmm. talking about Kyle and like. Everything you just mentioned happened in about six minutes of showtime, like all together of like finding out all of these things. And I hope it sort of slows down and we get a really good glimpse into what their sort of found family is and these new relationships and that we branch out of the relationships that we already have. Like that some characters spend time with other characters and we really have this idea of making a family do with what you know with what you've got i mean kyle's sort of drowning here um he's got a lot that he's come face to face with and you know i hope they give him time and and room to explore that when you you know yeah i really would like to see kyle explored more before max is brought back i think that he got put through the ringer you know and i love that line at caulfield 
when he finds out what his dad did. Mm-hmm. Right. And then he's like, well, he deserved he deserved what happened to him, which is really cold. But I get it. And so I'd like to see that side of Kyle explored a little more yeah. because I find that fascinating that he's just like, I love my dad, but he's a horrible person. So he deserved this horrible thing that happened to him. And that's a very clinical way to view your family. Right. And so I, I'd like to see that. I, you know what I'm most, you know, Malik's aside, Michael aside, Alex aside, what the most interesting part of season two that I hope is that I can't wait for is Kyle and Rosa. Um, that idea of, you know, um, I don't know, discovering that you have a sister later, you know, biological sister later on in your life and like what that means and what kind of relationship we can, he can have with someone who he obviously knows, but now knows in a completely different manner, but now is, has, she's been asleep for 10 years. You know, I'm excited for their relationship. Well, and not only is this his his sister that he's just discovered, but it's the sister of his (laughs) ex-girlfriend. This is where we get into soap opera. I like love what it. what kind of soap opera <laughs> nonsense? <laughs> well, and I know we've kind of tried to stay away from Malik's a little bit because we're we're all known Malik shippers. Um, but I really want to see I really want to see Alex kind of being there for Michael this season and being his family and proving that you know he didn't just tell him what he needed to tell him to get him out of that prison. Right. So for me, for season two, I just and I know. There are a lot of people who are like, oh, you know, I don't want to see them being friends. I just want them to be together. Da, 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 da. I cannot wait to see them build a friendship. I can't wait to see them be each other's family. Yeah. Because we, you know, we're, we're here, we're you know, speaking sort of about found family. I mean, Michael now has lost a good portion of his family in whatever iteration that is. Max is mm-hmm. gone. Isabel's going through some shit. Um, like, he's got, the, you know, and part of that may be the reason he sort of spirals in season two is... He sort of acts like he doesn't need a support system, but we all know that that's not true. And so I think that mm-hmm. the potential is really there to to have, you know, Alex sort of present himself as the family that Michael doesn't have in any other way. And, and maybe that's how they mm-hmm. build their friendship. I don't know. I need to stop getting myself hyped up for the scenes that I think we're going to get. But in my mind, there's a whole scene where Alex says that, you know, I'm, you know, I'm your family. I'm here for you. And then I die. I can't wait for them to just be super dramatic, like <laughs> like the tears in Michael's eyes. And, you know, I am ready for all of the pain and suffering and found family and for them to just be each other's rock. I am here for it. Um, especially because we have that really sort of um, talking about specifically, given what our podcast is about, specifically, you know, being a queer person and having a found family, that scene where, you know, when they're teenagers and Alex asks Michael if he's living in his truck or whatever. I mean, that is, you know, a, a very much a reality for so many queer teens in this country. Um, yeah. That there's a large percentage of of teens who are kicked out and, you know, sort of have to, to, to make their way. Um, I mean, there's whole studies into, you know, what it means to be a queer teen in this country and then creating a family with other people that you meet. Um, and I think that that, I thought that that was an interesting nod to that history, um, Mm -hmm. specifically with Michael. Okay. So Here's my favorite theme. (laughs) (laughs) Now it's next time to shine. Which is the monster metaphor. Okay, so probably by now. (laughs) 
I am so excited that Mick gets to talk about this, finally. <laughs> um, I actually don't have a lot to talk about, but uh, as probably all of you know by now, I am a huge Black Sails fan, and coming from that show basically being all about the monster metaphor for queerness, and seeing that in Roswell what got me really excited so let me ask a question that you would probably have to edit out can you actually give me like a few seconds of a rundown of what black sales is even about if we're going to talk about them gay revenge okay (laughs) (laughs) i mean i don't know about mick but like i so i watched black sales too and so you've got this really macho main male character who is a pirate captain and just an all-around badass and kind of hates the world and then you find out i think in season early in season two that he is a big old gay and this his whole mission for the last 10 15 years is war against the world and revenge because they took his boyfriend away and it's amazing hell yeah (laughs) yeah and there's you know there's a lot of lines about him being defined as a monster and all of that right so yeah, I think it's re- a really interesting concept for queer people to be associated with monstrosity in particular. And in the show, in Roswell, we see it with Michael and Jesse, right? So we know that Jesse defines all aliens as monsters, but we also know that he has a personal vendetta against Michael in particular. And there are a lot of scenes where he uses the word monster in particular and in the scene with Alex, when Alex confronts him, um, he says that like these aliens are monsters and they're talking about Michael. So um, you're like, you know that it goes beyond just Michael being an alien, mm-hmm. right? It's because he's a man. He's the man that was in relationship with his son for a long time that he caught. And um, I think it's really interesting that the show works towards define what a monster is. So is it is it the aliens that are monsters or is it Jesse? And is it who's actually defining like who's who's um controlling the narrative about who who what a monster is, right? Right. And I think uh I think towards the end of season one already we see that shifting and we see that Right, exactly. We see with that in the scene with Alex and Kyle finding out what happened with Jim Valenti. But um there's also, like, Alex is the one who personally, like, explicitly brings that forward, like, to the audience and says, like, Michael is a good person and explicitly, you know, antagonizes his father when he defines Michael as a monster. And right. to have that with the two queer characters, like, uh, canonically queer characters is really interesting. And I, I love that. Like, again, coming from Black Sails, I love that. Well, and I think that we would be, um, and here's where I, Amanda makes everyone angry. We can't um, also talk about the monster metaphor in the show without talking about the military, and which includes Alex. Um, I, mean, he, I mean, he says it explicitly. It's not anything I'm making up and, and just, but, you know, even, you know, says the evil is you, you know, that whole, that whole speech that he gives to Kyle, which is a great scene. But it's, so there's a lot of layers here. It's people like Jesse who are in charge of defending the country, right? And this is how they think, right? Mm-hmm. So we have this sort of monstrous character who we have to put some faith and trust in, which is terrifying and, and, and 
talk about the entire military, you know, industrial complex of these people that don't really know what it means to be a monster or think that they're exempt from it. And I think Alex, the assumption has to be there from Alex's conversation that he had with Kyle that Alex has done some monstrous things in ter- in, in, mm-hmm. while he was in the military. And you can't, he's not an innocent bystander in this and how it's unfolded. I mean, he has probably killed innocent people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I just think that we can't, if we're going to talk about Jesse being a monster in terms of, of course, of his actions, but also what he represents, you can't leave Alex out of that as well. They're part of the same organization, I guess is not the word I'm looking mm-hmm. for, but... Um, so you really just sort of have to talk about the military as a monster in general. Mm-hmm. And that unfortunately includes Alex. And he knows that. I mean, this isn't anything, I mean, from the way his conversations about being in the military, he, you know, I wanted to win battles. That means ostensibly you want to win battles against other people. I mean, he knows mm-hmm. exactly yeah. what mm-hmm. he's done or is doing or, or what he's a part of. And I think that that's, I don't know if that's going to get explored more, but he's clearly made peace with that in some ways. I mean, he's still in it. Um, it's ostensibly going to resign or continue with the military. So it's probably wishful thinking, but it would be interesting to have Alex scenes where he's really having to justify why he's continuing to be in the military. Well, and the scene that sold me on the show was in the pilot at the end where uh, Jesse and Kyle are in the bunker and Jesse's telling him about how monstrous these these aliens are and how horrible they are and they're murderers and they're and then it's interspersed with them being being tender humans and that's the moment that not me subtle we, at all no <laughs> but I appreciate that it's not subtle you know and so I I think that that plays into the whole you know the military thinks they're the monsters the aliens think the military are the monsters. Right. And so it becomes, where is the truth? And I, I kind of think the truth is somewhere in the middle. And so, because you have, you have Noah who has done terrible things, um, you know, and Isabel. And also humans are just monsters. In exactly. I mean, everybody, whole, everybody you know. <laughs> has the potential to be a monster. And I think that would be really interesting to explore. Okay, so um, moving on to Shona's question about religious imagery. Um, I have some down. Um, I think one of the most explicit one is the list that is like three people by now of um, Lazarus characters. So we have Liz, of course, um, Rosa, and possibly Max in the future. Mm -hmm. What I like, so Shona brought up a lot of, um, you know, religious aspects of the show that I really wouldn't have thought of. You can tell she has a religious background and I don't. Um, she brought up the, the parallels um, to the three aliens. So the father, the son and the Holy spirit and then Noah. Um, and, and just sort of the idea that it's, it's, it's important that it's three, which is such an important Christian number or um, Judeo Christian. Um, and then you sort of have this, this Noah character who is what we would call him a fallen angel, whatever it is that he may be. But I thought that was really interesting way to sort of, I mean, I just don't think anything is in this show is really, I'm going to back up. There are unintended consequences of some of the things they've done on this show, but because they're so unsubtle, I'm assuming that most of those choices were thought out beforehand. You know, the fact that 
whether it be, whether it be you know the religious imagery obviously it's not it's not on accident like they're doing it on right. purpose which I think is interesting um, and well, that was one of her question was do you think it's she because she asked in in a, in a text to me you know basically do you think it's planned symbolism or it's just the nature of storytelling um, and I would definitely say that given who Karina is and her um, sort of religious upbringing and and who she is I would definitely say this is a planned planned idea. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for Max specifically, because he has, he's the one who has most parallels, like he's the Jesus-like figure. <laughs> um, he has the healing, he he's seen, like we know from what Noah says, that he's supposed to be the savior. And you know how they frame him dying, like how you see, you see him from you know, from above with Liz, when Liz come in, comes in in the finale. Right. He's literally like on the cross. So, like, mm-hmm. you know, they're not saddled with Max. Yeah, he's definitely got this, he's definitely got this Messiah storyline yeah. going. Well, and I was going to say, again, it comes down, Amanda's going to say her phrase, <laughs> this sort of straight white dude Messiah complex. Like, it is a complex, yeah. Of course it is, you know. I think we're supposed to think it, like, you know. I, no, I, yeah, I agree. Across the way, but, you know. I'm still tired of it. <laughs> I'm still tired of the Jesus figure being a white dude anyway, but yeah. Well, and maybe that'll get turned on its head at some point. You know, I'd love to see, I'd love to see Liz as the, the Messiah character or, which I could definitely see that, that that's how it go. You know, I could see that going. Yeah. I think what's also interesting is again, Noah's uh, speech in the finale um, when he says, you know, who, who do you think they talk about when we, when they talk about, um, you know, religion and gods and all of that. Um, of course, it's us. You know, um, I think that's really interesting because that's also that also presupposes that they've been there before. Um, and I, th- I I hope that I, they explore that uh, in season two that might not have been an accident after all. You know, them being there. Um, and the last one I have down is the prodigal son theme. So we have Liz. And Alex coming back. Right. Um, I like that I brought up that theme. And then as soon as I said it, I was like, I don't know enough about this story to really talk about it. You know, I just was, I wonder how much of this show I miss not having any sort of religious upbringing whatsoever. I'm fine with that. I don't really want to, I'm good with it. Um, but I like the idea of, um, cause I, the only thing I really know about the, the, you know, idea of the prodigal son was having to, to come back and sort of, beg for you know your parents forgiveness and all of this yeah. and, and it not being necessary that you're sort of uh, you know welcomed back with open arms and I like this idea of with um Liz and Alex you know t- making their own life outside of Roswell and then having to come back for different reasons and then choosing to stay because the good sort of outweighs the bad you know Alex comes back to Roswell and of course Jesse's there and all of this but then he does you know have right. Michael or, you know, Maria or Liz and sort of these found family and the same for Liz making that choice to stay um, rather than continue um, to sort of travel around and, and, and in search of something. The last big theme I have down is consent. Whew. It's a big one, um, and I think we've touched on it a lot with previous episodes, um, especially like when it comes to Max 
healing Michael's hand and we've talked about this. But um, I, I've added a little note on this because Flams did discuss this a little at New York Comic Con. And he said that it will influence Michael in season two, and which is what I was hoping for. Like basically that he didn't just you know, go with it and be like, oh yeah, my hand is ill, whatever, you know. Right. It's going to impact him. And the other one that we've already discussed a little bit is Noah and Isabel and Rosa, which is mm-hmm. the big one, you know. Um, there's a lot of, there's a lot of consent issues there. I mean, obviously, yeah. you've got, you've got a man controlling a woman and then becoming creepily obsessed with another woman. It's definitely, it's like, it's just not a good look. <laughs> well, I mean, let's, you know, if we're really, um, and I, I, you know, I urge, I, I do want to talk about um, sexual assault and rape. So, you know, I definitely want to give, you know, trigger warnings for that. And we will, you know, I'm sure when we release the episode, but, and I think it's hard to watch this show. And I've talked with other people in the, in, in fandom um, because, Obviously, the goal was that there, this was going to be a little squicky, right? This was going to be some weird issues. Um, I don't know that anyone really thought about how hard it would be to watch this as a rape survivor. Um, because mm-hmm. the idea that you're powerless over your own body, whatever the situation may be, and you're being forced to do something that you don't want to do. Because that's, I mean, I'm, you know, a, a rape survivor. And it's hard to to, to watch it and, and obviously i mean that's on on purpose but i think it goes much deeper than what the goal was um because it really just sort of drove the plot but this is a big deal isabel lost control of her own body for however long it was i mean like a probably close to a decade Mm -hmm. um so every time she had sex with noah it wasn't you know there was no there was no consent it was rape i mean it was spousal rape um that's what i would say people may disagree with me on that but I would say when you in you know in this the relationship that they had that that would constitute sexual assault every time. Yeah, it brings up the question of how much of it was real, like how much of it was controlled by Noah. Right. How much did he influence Isabel mm-hmm. to do that? Because of course, like it's pretty clear that he went into that relationship to be in control of the situation. Um, the Rosa situation, you know, Isabel and the other two. It's pretty, that's pretty clear. So how much of their relationship was based on mind control? Right. See, to me, I, you know, and, and, and people are more than welcome to argue with me. To me, that if there was at any point mind control when they got together in the beginning, if he influenced her in any way to be together, then that means that everything that follows is going is going without her consent. I mean, so, mm-hmm. I mean, if, if he, there was mind control, you know, that, that very day, um, that from that very first day, everything else after that is an assault. Um, she couldn't have consented to any of that. And I don't care if he was only in her brain 10% of the time, you know, that, that, that means that she can't consent to everything else. The, the life they built together was, it was done without her consent. And I hope that that's something that they explore in season two. And it seemed like, <clears throat> if I remember correctly from the conversation at ATX, that it is something that they're going to explore with Isabel, like kind of her figuring out really who she is as a person Mm -hmm. because she's been controlled 
for 10 years and she didn't have consent to, she didn't give consent to really anything in her life, any, any part of her life. She's always, she's been under Noah's control. So I'm really interested and I really hope they explore it. I really hope they don't push all this under the rug with like, oh, Noah's dead. So what does it matter? Because it does matter. Right. Yeah, I don't, I don't think they will from um, what they've said at the Comic-Con in particular. Um, they've, uh, Lily in particular has, has talked about it and she said that she's going to have to deal with it. And she's been under not only Noah's control, but in a lot of ways she's been, not control necessarily, but um, influenced a lot by, by Max as well, you know, all of her decisions, you know, a lot of her life was tied to to Max and him being from what we know from Michael, him being the one who set the rules for all of them. And she's free uh, of both of them now and she's going to have to deal with it um, along with her grief for probably both of them because we've seen with the, the lovely scene that she has with Liz she, she's um, grieving Noah in a way because she, she she loves him you know and so that's that's also something I want I, I want them to to explore like how do you deal with someone that you love um, being such a monster again um, and also on the Max side, probably pretty pretty angry at what he did, you know. So. Right. I I just here's what I don't want. Now there's somebody who mentioned on Tumblr, and I cannot remember. I'm so sorry. That in a show like Roswell, New Mexico, really any CW show, there's not a whole mm-hmm. lot of room for in-depth exploration there's so many characters it's so fast-paced especially with roswell there's only what 13 episodes i mean you don't have time to really i really will be angry as someone who takes isabel's story very personally i'll be very angry if they don't explore you know the fact that she has every right to not trust people after this specifically men right that this idea of um Really, the only person she probably trusts at this point is Michael and and Max, if he were still around. But what I don't want this to do is, as you said, like, I just don't want it to turn into, well, she's fine now. She had, you know, she had, she raged for an episode. Now she's good. No, what she went through for many, many years is something that you don't just get over in five minutes. Now, it's going to be sped up because it's TV. Obviously, we're not going to watch Isabel be angry and, and grieve for years, but... Um, it does, it deserves the room to, to deal with her trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, because that's what it is at the end of the day is what she went through with Noah is, you know, mental and emotional and physical trauma. Yeah. And with consent, I think that there's also, um, Max being, um, kind of this big role model for consent in a way, because he's very adamant about mm-hmm. it, you know. See, we can say positive things about Max. <laughs> we can say positive things, yeah. <laughs> um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about um, how Max and Liz in particular have explicit consent, and on the other hand, how Michael and Alex have tacit consent. Because I think that's very interesting. Right. I have some scenes down for both of them. So I have, for example, the the jacket scene for in 109 um, for Max and Liz, uh, which is kind of, I wouldn't have thought of that. You know, I wouldn't have been like, you have to ask to do that. Right. But he did. And, you know, that's, that's good. And also, like, 
when when she goes for the kisses like both times like you know when they actually have their first kiss and when in in the flashback episode that is is always very um clear about where the lines are for consent with Liz and I really appreciate right. that. Mm-hmm. Well on the, on the other hand Michael and Alex which could be because they've been in a relationship for a long time you know they know each other but it's all in the looks for them you know it's all on like they pause and they look at each other and they know they're both there right. and mm-hmm. then they go for it like there's no conversation but you, at the same time you know it's consensual the whole time right that's because they're soulmates yeah. <laughs> um you know it's interesting I, I, I like how they have, have set it up with this um, because the idea, um, I like the idea of having Max be the one that is especially aware of consent and, and, and having to sort of verbally, um, I, I will say that's probably the best part of Max's character. I mean, you could say a little bit, he's a little stalkery, maybe a little bit, but, um, but I do like this idea that he at the very least knows that there are boundaries and, and, yeah sort of how to broach those with Liz and, you know, that she's sort of the, the one that has the power here and, and gives her a little bit of the power um, because, who oh boy, do we need to see more of that in terms of the character that Max represents, this conversation about consent, that it's not a joke, that it's not something that, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, that it's real, that you need to, you know, that you that respecting someone's boundaries is important and explicitly asking sometimes is exactly what you should do. Right. And I uh, speaking of uh, actually that beautiful the best example we have with Malix is that perfect scene in the flashback where Michael says you know kind of hesitates and sort of takes a step back and Alex like immediately moves his hands off and is like okay what's up because it's not it wasn't played for laughs it wasn't played for anything it was just uh you've expressed that you're uncomfortable I'm mm-hmm. gonna take a, a physical step back to figure out, you know, what's going on. You know, you've, you've clearly want to take a, take a break. And I'm, I, you know, I, I can think of countless shows, especially back in the nineties, maybe not now, but within the last 20 years where it was more of a, it wasn't that um, explicit that they wouldn't take that sort of physical step back. And I, that was a, one of my favorite parts of episode six. Um, Cause I mean, when you, you, the entire last half of the season is, you know, consent issues, mm-hmm. but you have at least your two main you know ships on the show understand consent in a way that a lot of other people don't a lot of other characters don't well and you know max is good when it comes to consent with liz and then you have that moment on the opposite side where he completely disregards michael and doesn't care about consent and heals him without his permission and michael physically says no yeah through the whole thing, Michael's begging him not to do it, and he does it anyway. That's the thing. So why do we have... I mean, and I know that he's high on on alien power juice or whatever, but why, you know, if consent's so important to him with Liz, why is it not important with Michael? Right. Exactly. And it is... I, I'm not one of those people that's personally... I can watch the scene, you know, with the, the healed hand and all of that. Um, mm-hmm. Not, I can understand why, no, you know, lots of people don't want to see it. My problem is Michael physically saying no and someone doing something to his body that he says no to. I mean, when you lay it out like that, you know exactly what it sounds like. Not only is he saying no, he's he's trying to run away from He's Max. like pulling his hand back. It's a violation. Right. Ex- experience that assault. To watch that when someone's telling you no and you do something in their body they don't want, no matter what degree that is, no matter what it is, that is, 
you know, very much assault. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, you know, and, and for Max to broach that line, like, I, here's what I don't get, and fuck it, I'll piss everybody off. Here's what I don't understand about people that love Max as a character. You can still love Max as a character, but you need to, to me, to look at that scene as very telling of what kind of person Max is or what kind of character mm-hmm. that he can physically hear audibly hear someone say no and still continues to do something in their body that they don't want that's terrifying especially i think in the context of how that injury happened to michael in the first place like he was assaulted right Mm -hmm. right and especially because max knows what that means to michael Mm -hmm. and he knows that michael didn't want both times someone physically and this is a gift set that i'll never make because no one would (laughs) no one would want to see it both times someone physically grabs Michael's hand, he cannot pull away. Pulls, you know, and in Jesse's um, instance, yeah. physically pulls him across the room, but Max won't let Michael move his hand back and then does something to him, to his body that he didn't ask for. I've watched both scenes and, and, and sort of side by side, and it is, it's hard because it's, it's, it, this is what assault is. This is, this is it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's sad. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Um, yeah. So Max is great with giving consent, getting consent for, for, for Liz. That's all well and good, but consent is not just a sex issue. Yeah. Well, and, you know, he's good about getting consent from, from Liz, but not from Michael. And then also from Isabel. I mean, and Michael's guilty of this too. They kind of yeah. just decided what was best for Isabel and changed the the course of her life, I think, in a way. Completely without her consent, they never t- tell her what happened to her they keep that from her and i think that plays into consent too because she didn't consent to to hiding a murder and everything Mm -hmm. that happened to her and if they had made her aware of what was going on would she have ever even been married to noah exactly not informing someone of something is still lying is still withholding it's it's still not pursuing consent about different things i mean that's just how it is um and you know, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of things that show does right when we're talking about sort of consent when it comes to sex, but there's a lot it does wrong, especially, and, and Isabel's usually at the center of it, you know, Isabel or Michael. I think with Isabel, her relationship with uh, Michael and Max, I think she realizes it, you know, in episode seven, I think it is, when she says, when she's, she's like, I'm done with you making decisions for me. I am making my own decisions now. So I think the show, you know, it kind of plants those seeds of saying like, this happened and it's wrong and it shouldn't have. Um, But at the same time, again, it's so rushed that I don't think they, in season one, they necessarily discuss it the right way. And that's, I I have a a lot of hopes for season two to, you know, develop those, those themes a little more. Right. The last thing I want to say, because um, I don't want to, the more that we talk about this, I'm like, wow, we could have done a whole episode about consent. Yeah. Um, because I just thought of this, that scene, right? So Max is talking to Liz about that Michael and Isabel and Max are always most worried about being caught and then being experimented on and sort of having mm-hmm. this, their bodies sort of taking from them and, and having no agency over what happens to them. But then he's able gets too far with Liz, he, you know, sort of explodes out and and forces her away. And like, you know, that whole scene in episode three or whatever. Um, But then we have Michael and Isabel who actually had to go through a form of that. 
And so it's it's intriguing to me to have Max of, of all characters say, we fear this sort of body horror. We fear this issue with our bodies and people taking over. Um, but then, of course, it's what Michael and Isabel go through. Um, again, straight white dude. So, um, actually, actually being aware that that is an issue um, and that that is a, an existence that women deal with or that queer people deal with. That you're sort of always on edge. Yeah. To actually have Max say it, I thought was interesting. Okay, so um, the last things we have, we have a couple of questions. Um, we have Janelle at Schools Outlaw on Twitter. Oh, yeah, she's one of the uh, the Sipping Sisters podcast people. Yeah, shout out. Um, who asked us to talk about tattoos and Isabel um, being covered in the silver goo in episode eight. I don't have a lot to say about either of those things, so I leave it up to you guys. <laughs> I mean, I think the tattoo thing, Max's alien tattoo or whatever, I think is going to come into play later on. I think the rest is just Nathan's poor choice in tattoos. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, no. Yep. But I, I, would, I would like to see the tattoo become important and i think it will i think it's i think it's the map to their home personally that's my theory right absolutely that would make sense but i'm a big fan of tattoos having importance you know so and this as far as the silver goo the most erotic scene ever right yeah like i was gay as fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like not to be weird but like yes i too would like to cover well this sort of idea of her doing it herself as well Mm -hmm. this sort of self-exploration like Mm -hmm. that that sensory feeling like what that was that was a lot i don't know Mm -hmm. whoever designed that is not straight and i really appreciate that it was definitely (laughs) it was definitely aesthetically pleasing can we talk about the fact that the goo was basically lube right right (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And the face that Michael did when he saw that. I know. I still think that that's hilarious. Um, I do. I do love that. You know, right at the end of that scene where she's sort of covered in that, and then she opens her eyes, is probably the closest we've gotten to sort of this grotesque yeah. um, alien imagery. You know, they've ha- they have these human bodies, mm-hmm. um, and it's sort of like that. I got like the shivers when I see it because it's just that look, the look on her is probably the least human she's looked all season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was definitely very othery. Right. And I'm, see, I'm excited for, now granted, depending on how far the show goes, you know, if they ever get to break out of this sort of human form that they have, I like this idea of exploring themselves as aliens versus mm-hmm. just this human form that they've stuffed themselves into. It'll be interesting. Okay, so um, we got another question from a Tumblr, Anon, um, which is pieces that want to be together metaphor and Malik's and Echo parallels. But we're saving that for the Malik's episode that we have coming up soon because um, we, we would like to give that some more room than what we could give it here. Yeah. So. I can talk about pieces want to be together for half an hour. It's fine. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's going to be hours. <laughs> like, yeah, no, we've got a lot. We've got a lot to say. So Malik's episode coming up. Okay, so um, I think that's it. Thank you guys for listening and we'll have the next theme up soon. And 
again, thank you to my co-hosts and we'll see you guys soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.